Good morning, church. Just on a side note here, we are, as a church, reading through the Bible. And uh, if you've been able to keep with, uh, up with us, great. If not, it's not a race. We're doing it. You know, just take a couple hours and uh, catch up. We're going through, there's a different, couple different um, patterns of reading through the Bible. We're going this year through the Robert McShane. And we didn't put in the bulletin this year because we have a new month here, but we'll do that next week for you. But if you just Google Robert McShane and uh, look up, find out where we're at with that if you're reading through that. Or I will set, and I've sent it out before, but I'll send it out as an email to you. Life is not easy, correct? I mean, we just had, how many days was it? With sun, summertime was here, gorgeous. I stepped outside, I was like, wow, people get to live here. This is great. I saw mountains. Remember what they look like, right? It just takes a while, you forget. And you just, wow, they're right there. Look at all the beautiful snow. But then today came, right? And just like, oh, and yesterday, it's just rainy and gloomy. But some of you are like, oh, this is horrible because you think it's cold out and it's rain. I think it's horrible because it's not cold enough and this could be snow. Life is not easy. But in reality, those are minor things to look at compared to the reality of life is hard. Life is not easy. And the world, I find it interesting, the world offers you many things that you can turn to or put your hope in and trust in. And as I thought about it this week, the world offers you intrinsic ways, that's kind of the fad today, intrinsic ways to help you get through things. What I mean by intrinsic ways are this, phrases like this, you can do it. Here's this mentality of, you can do it. Intrinsically, there's something within you that you can do it. It's based upon, put your confidence in your nature. Who you are as a person, you can do it. Go get it, buster. Life is hard. And the world says, you can do it. This intrinsic motivation to do it. Or they say, just hold on. I hope you can do it. I hope you have the strength. Intrinsically, just hold on. It's really hard right now. Just hold on and and you'll be able to make it. And here the focus is not just in your nature, but in your ability to hopefully hold on. And here the world tries to shape our behavior that's driven by inward rewards. Because I enjoy a good life, I will choose a particular environment to help me in that. Or they offer you extrinsic ways to do it. For some reason, I don't know why I'm baffled that Colorado and the state of Washington has said thumbs up to marijuana and that's an extrinsic way to deal with your problems. We're hurting as a state, right? We have intrinsic ways and extrinsic ways that people try to deal with. Life is not easy. Or there's these ways that you can extrinsically, outside of yourself, try to change your environment or your circumstances. Get me out of the cold so I'm moving to Hawaii. Wouldn't that be nice? I'm cold. And here people think they can put their confidence in changing their circumstances. Where, scripturally, we see something far different than that. 
There is an intrinsic value, Christ in us, but that begins first from the extrinsic, external aspect of Christ's work. Life is hard. But we have a God who understands, who loves us. We are going through the series with Christ in the school of suffering. Let me read a song by Michael Kelly Blanchard. It's called In From the Cold. I thought of this this week because I thought of the little cold snap that we were going to get this coming weekend and turned to the song and thought, oh, this is fitting. Heard the furnace kick on last night as the north wind slapped the house. I wasn't surprised in the next day's light to hear my wife scream from a mouse. I got a trap. We'll catch a few. But I kind of feel bad because it's what I'll do. Cold and marooned, I head for the warm. I've been looking since the day I was born. Yes, I can relate to that mouse all right. Just needing a place to come in from the night. Then the chorus. In from the cold, out from the wind. Surviving is as old as breathing. All of creation is your next of kin when you're out in the cold and you want to come in. In the 8th Avenue cafeteria, business is steady all day. With the sky taking fits of hysteria, crying then gloomy and gray, must have been written in Seattle, right? Out of the storm come the sirens of night. In where it's warm, and there's laughter and light. Away from the street with its hunger and shame to get off their feet and feel human again. Little girls caught in the buy and sell for a moment forget their version of hell. In from the cold, out of the wind, surviving as old as breathing. All of creation is your next of kin when you're out in the cold and you want to come in. Everyone's selling some religion these days, from the White House to the psychic hotline. It's easy to get lost in the maze, mistake marketing for the divine. Here it is. Maybe I'm crazy, but give me the one who started as a baby without a home. I need a God who's been there and back, walking the sod with a cross on his back. Someone who's real when it comes to the soul, who knows how it feels to be out in the cold. In from the cold, out of the wind, surviving as old as breathing. All of creation is your next of kin when you're out in the cold and you want to come in. Out in the cold, you need to come in. Out in the cold, you've got to come in, he ends with. Out in the cold, come in. Let's pray before we dig into the word. Lord, we've come today and we've, by your hand and mercy and grace, we are allowed to awake and live this day for you. Yet we've come dressed and 
cleaned up and we're ready to go, but yet I know that inside some of us seriously have aches and pains where it was hard even to get up today. Lord, we have the depth of suffering and this taste of weariness that sometimes we just want to cash it in. We feel so cold. We, we need a place to come. And Lord, we thank you by your grace and mercy that your love took on flesh and made a way, not my righteousness, but your righteousness, as we sang in the song. And God, I ask today that as we've thought through doctrine and we look at Scripture, that we will taste of the beauty of the hope and confidence that we have, not intrinsically in ourselves, but only in you. So Spirit of God, move in our lives and hearts this morning. Amen. 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 If you have a Bible, we'll be turning there soon in a moment to Psalm 22. And if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up if you forgot or you were busy with the kids and you just, you know, just put your hand up. That's fine. One of these days, I might leave my Bible here so you realize it's okay to put your hand up and say, I forgot mine. John, can you give me one? But we, we have a few in the back. So if you have a Bible, if you need one, just put your hand up. As your pastor... I am to be a spokesman for God. Very important. So if you ever hear me rant about other things that are not of the Lord, or if you hear me say, all right, it's time to put on your Packer jerseys, you can say, all right, I'll tune that out, okay? That G doesn't stand for God, although it does in Wisconsin for some reason, but okay. So, but if I am to be a spokesman for God alone, if I say other things, just say, that's enough. And as a spokesman for God, there's things that at times I need to say. There's things I do. Like last week, we kind of put hip waiters on. We said, here's some understandings of Scripture about doctrine. God is three equally divine persons, one in essence, and, you know, deep stuff. And God doesn't change. And there's times where in Scripture I love working through doctrine. At times as a pastor, as a spokesman for God, I need to call out sin. That's not heard of. It's not a popular thing to do, but I'm all about, because the Scripture's all about calling out sin. As a spokesman for God, ultimately I'm all about elevating the fame of Jesus Christ. Amen? Fame to His name. I'm all about, as you know, we're all about worship. Not style of worship, but object of worship. And as a spokesman for God, there are times I need to be a voice of encouragement, a voice of hope. And that's what today is. I've spent much time thinking and praying about today and just asking that wherever you are, the Lord will be moving in your heart. Last week, as you see on the slide here, we talked about some very important things. As we look at this with Christ in the school of suffering, the gospel message in Psalms, Pointing to Christ, there's a couple things we've kind of looked at. First of all, God does not change. Praise God. Remember, at, after every junction, I would say, praise the Lord. 
Imagine if we had a God that would change. We, we would be in trouble. God does not change. His purpose, his nature, his character doesn't change. God does have unchanging, pure emotion. He is long-suffering. He's a God who forgives. He is always love. He's pure in his emotion. And the big phrase here, God responds to the change in someone, and this response is a display of his unchanging character. Praise God. And I encourage you, go back and listen to that and think through some of the, the beauty of the truth in Scripture of some of these things that help us in suffering. And the person of Christ Jesus, God knows suffering. So whatever you have gone through, whatever you are currently going through, and whatever will come, we have a God who knows. He's not immune to this. He understands. We've covered doctrine, now we want to look at application of that. It's unlike what the world offers, these, you can do it in your own. The Bible's understanding is based upon the help that God gives his people. My confidence is not in me, but it is in Jesus alone. That's where my confidence is. It's in the Lord. And let, let me just, let me just, this is going to be hard for you to hear maybe for some of you. My confidence is not that I will get away from suffering. My confidence is not that I will be healed. If you have sickness, my confidence is not that I'm going to be healed. It's not that I'm going to get away from suffering or pain. My confidence is in the Lord and His eternal, perfect plan. Amen? Those are hard things to think through. And we'll deal with those in the future. But my confidence is not based upon me. It's on Him. Jesus, take a look at the next slide here. Jesus had His confidence in God. Turn to Psalm 22. We've been looking at this passage for a couple weeks, and it's one of the important passages in the book of Psalms that looks at Jesus. Without the New Testament, we would just say this is a man who suffers, but as you read through Psalm 22, you realize through the new lens of the New Testament, this is speaking of Christ. Psalm 22. In fact, we have these, what we call, seven sayings of Christ on the cross. He had these phrases, these statements he said on the cross. Three of them come from the book of Psalms. Some of them even from this here. Like the first verse, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, remember, Jesus was momentarily abandoned by God the Father so that his people would never be abandoned. If you ever feel abandoned by your spouse, your job, yourself, this world, your government, your church, your friends, your neighbors, if you ever taste of abandonment, please remember, Jesus was momentarily abandoned so that his people would never be abandoned. As we went through some of the other passages, the other verses here, some of this is, is tough. He suffers. There's agony. He tastes of some real pain. When Jesus was on the cross, he quoted from this passage. Think of this. Jesus, prior to the cross, memorized 
much of this chapter, I believe. Because he quoted from me. He didn't have someone open the scroll so I can read something that speaks of me. He had this memorized prior to the cross. Christian, listen to this. It's very important that we hold to truth prior to suffering. We know in the bright room where the exit is, so that way when the storm comes, the lights go out, we know exactly which way to go in the dark. Know truth before the storm comes, so that way when the storm comes, you're able to say, well, this I know for sure. Does that make sense? So Jesus, in his life, meditated on Psalm 22. And I believe he knew that this is coming someday. But what's important about Psalm 22, it just doesn't stop at the pain and suffering. Look at verse 21 and following. Rescue me from the mouths of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel. And he goes on. Very important here. Even on the cross, in his pain and suffering, he spelled out, Lord, I'm suffering. Have mercy on me. May this cup pass, but if not, this is your will. In suffering, the Lord Jesus still had his confidence in the Lord. He still had confidence in the Lord. Psalm 22 was truly present in the times of troubles. And today what we're going to do is we're going to consider him who endured the cross, scorning, despising its shame. Hebrews chapter 12. What did he do? How did he work through this? And what was the purpose of this? So we're going to turn to the book of Hebrews. If you would turn to Hebrews chapter 4. How is it that Jesus knew his position and... God's position in the event. Very important. It's up on the screen there. Write that down and think of that. Because if sickness comes to your door, it's so important to know your position and also know God's position in this. He will be praised through this. The book of Hebrews has many themes. And there's three prominent themes I see in the book of Hebrews. Number one, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. If you want to know who Jesus is, oh, read the book of Hebrews. Read, you know, if, 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 if you understand the Old Testament, then read Hebrews and you realize Jesus is supreme. There were priests, but he is supreme. There was Moses, but he is supreme. There's the law, but he is supreme. The first couple chapters really spell that out. Chapter 8, chapter 10 also spell it out in a great way. 
These Old Testament things were shadows. They, they were there only for a moment, but now we have Jesus. He is exalted. Do you want to worship Jesus in a more pure way? Read Hebrews. It's great. So one of the prominent aspects of Hebrews is that Jesus is supreme. He is exalted, the incarnation. And as we looked at last week, the, the doctrine of the Trinity and the incarnation, fully God, fully man, Read the book of Hebrews and you'll see, oh, okay, I see more of that in the book of Hebrews. Another aspect in the book of Hebrews is this. Hold fast, do not give up, stand firm. You read through Hebrews and you realize this over and over is this theme of don't give up. Many of the people at this time when these writings were ready to give up and cash it all in. Don't give up. Do you know that that's one of my main jobs? One of my main roles as a pastor is this. Some of you wonder, what does Pastor Cody do? In fact, this week my goal is to make a little video of what I do. I'm trying to put it on our Facebook page or our web page. I'm not sure how I'm going to do that, but some of you techie guys can help me with that. But um, what, what do I do? But one of my main roles, it's not maybe in my job description, but it's this. I am to be like a coach to you. Wherever you are in your journey, wherever you are in your suffering or in your walk with God, here's my job. To come alongside of you and say, don't give up. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on Jesus, your fingers in the word. Don't give up. I love that part of my job. I love coming alongside of you in whatever capacity it is and saying, let's keep going. Know him more. Worship him more purely and clearly. That's my job. And Hebrews is all about... Don't give up. Stand firm. It's all about Jesus. It's all about don't give up. And the third thing that Hebrews is this. We have confidence to come to God. We have a confidence that we can approach God with whatever you had. Whether it's your suffering or your sin or your struggles or you feel like giving up. We have confidence to come and have faith with God. Our confidence, our faith to approach God. And I find it interesting. I haven't spent oodles amount of time in Hebrews, but all of these three major themes come together in just a few verses that we're going to look at. Hebrews chapter 4, starting with verse 14. I'm in the book of Mark here. That's where my Bible opened up to. So let me get to Hebrews with you there. Hebrews chapter 4. Three things that go with this. The first thing, foundation. There's a basis for all of the things that we're going to talk about. Then there's two encouragements. And I love to encourage people. The first is a foundational aspect, and the second is two encouragements. The first thing, life is not easy. What do we put our hope and trust in? Our abilities, our finances, our houses, our heritage, our good looks. What, what do we put our hope in? very important here, and here's the next slide. The foundation of my confidence in life 
in suffering, in joys, in the life to be after, my confidence in life is in Jesus. And what I mean by that is this, and I wrote this out here, His, when I just say the word Jesus, that doesn't mean I just get a shirt or a tattoo or a necklace that says Jesus and I'm set. What do I mean by that? My confidence for life is based upon, the foundation of that is, here it is, His preexistent and His perfect life and His atoning work on the cross and resurrection and His continuing work as the great high priest who will come again for his people. Big phrase there. That's what my confidence is in. Let's read this section and then we'll just go part at a time here. Hebrews chapter 4, starting with verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I really think this little section here is a summary of all that the book of Hebrews is really speaking of. And if you are in suffering right now, I encourage you, write these few verses out on a few cards. Put them in your bathroom so when you wake up to look at yourself in the mirror and brush your teeth, read this verse so you realize our confidence is in Him and we'll see some of these great encouraging aspects. Put it near your bed before you go to bed and and read that and just go, even though whatever happened today, my confidence still is in you, O Lord. Why is this possible? Jesus, it says here, is the great high priest. This is the foundation of it all. He is the great high priest. Well, what does this mean? The high priest would stand before the people, and he would be accountable, and he would say, I stand before you, and I will take what you have, your needs, and present them to the Lord. It was the place that they would answer before God, for the sins of the nation and the people. It was the distinguished position to have in the Hebrew nation. And only, this is important, only the high priest, one time a year, could enter into the Holy of Holies and give this sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. One time only, and only one person. Remember that. That's what the high priest would do. And only he could truly stand in the presence of God. The people could not because of their sins. Listen to this. Jesus is not. It doesn't say we have a high priest. Look at your Bible. We have a great high priest. He is greater than any priest. He is greater. How is this? Take a look at the next slide. He is the great high priest. Why? The priest could never take away sins. He could only one time a year, one man, come, do it, but he couldn't take away the sins. Only God could. Jesus, fully God, 
gave his life as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. The high priest could never take away sins. Jesus is the one who did and takes away our sin. Praise God. Amen. We have a great high priest. He is greater than any priest that was ever there. Greater than any Levitical priest that lived. Jesus has the unrestricted access to God. How many times a year could the high priest go and lay the the sacrifice? One time a year. Jesus has unlimited access to the Father. He is with the Father now. Look at this passage. It says this. It says, We have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, who passed through the heavens. He is in the presence of God the Father now. Jesus, the Son of God, He passed through. He is transcendent, would be the word to say. And the cross opened a way for us to have this access through the Lord. Praise God. We have access. The temple curtain was torn. There's this huge curtain, this big veil that that was there that was hemmed in a certain way that was just very thick. And the people, that's what limited the people. They they couldn't be before the presence of God. Even the high priest stood before this curtain and until he went inside the curtain, then he could be in the presence of God. Now this is open. Jesus, the great high priest, has opened this for us. We have access to God in a way that was never given before. He moves away the ritualistic requirements and the sin that prevented free entrance to him 24-7. We can come to him, the great high priest, and approach this throne of grace. So the first thing is this foundation. Jesus is the foundation to it all. But what's the encouragement? Take a look at the next slide. Here's the first encouragement. Hold firmly to your faith. Hold firmly to your faith. Why? Let's look what it says here. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, comma, let us hold firmly to the faith that we have, that we speak of. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand or or sympathize with us. We have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Here it is. Hold firmly to we have. He became man and entered into our weakness. Think of that. He became man, entered into our weakness, and he understands, listen to this, the full force of sin, the full temptation of sin and suffering. Now when you read this, you might think, listen to what it says, we have one who has been tempted in every way, that's what this says here, just as we are, yet without sin. When I was a little boy, I thought, wow, how could Jesus be tempted in every way? Does this mean that Jesus was tempted with Internet gambling. No, the internet wasn't there until we had Al Gore come and invent the internet for us. Did Jesus get tempted by the IRS with small business fraud because he had a group of disciples? No! 
No, he wasn't tempted with every specific type of sin conceivable. But listen to this. He was and understood the full force of sin and temptation and suffering. And here's the good way to understand it. He understood temptation in every respect. He experienced the full pressure and force of temptation. I almost want to take a half hour and look at every aspect in the Gospels of aspects that he could have been tempted, but let me just look at two famous stories. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit, very important to know, he's led by the Spirit to go pray and fast. For how long? Does anybody know? 40 days. I go eight hours without food and I'm hungry. I have fasted for many days. I have one friend that fasted for 40 days. Wow, I have yet to do that. I pray the Lord maybe would, if he called me to do that, it would be hard. 40 days, but first, he's led by the Spirit. Not just to do it to do it, but he's led by the Spirit. What happens after that? Matthew chapter 4, who does he meet? Does anyone know? Satan. And Satan comes to what? Tempt him. Forty days, he's hungry, right? Forty days by himself. How was he tempted? Three aspects. Self-concern. Feed yourself. Popularity. Jesus, if you really are, set yourself on this throne and you can be this great kingdom leader. Self-concern, popularity, ambition for power was another one. What did Jesus give in? No. Again, in every respect, he experienced the full pressure and force of temptation. He was tempted in the garden. Pain and suffering is about to come. Death is about to come. He knew it. So he prayed, take this cup. And the cup is suffering. Take this cup from me if it is your will. If not, I will drink it but take it if it's your will, please. But if it's your will, I will take this. He was tempted on the cross. Save yourself and us. He chose not to be rescued so he could rescue us. He understands the full force and weight and pressure of temptation. He never gave in. He led the way to victory through the temptations, and he knows about suffering yet without sin. That is how we are to hold on to. He never gave in. And through this, he's able to share with our sufferings. You're at Hebrews. Turn just two chapters back. And we'll probably deal with this verse in a few weeks. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. You might say, well, Pastor Cody, this is about temptation. This isn't about suffering. We're talking about suffering in the, in the, in the School of Suffering with Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, last verse. I'll just read verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. Look at verse 18. 
great verse here. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What a verse! Do you need help? Jesus understands temptation and suffering, and he is able to help you right now. That is a great encouragement. And that's what our confidence is in. So commit to this. Because of his life, we are to, we're able to hold firmly to the faith. Hold fast. Don't give up. So look at me. If there's ever a time where pleasure overwhelms and you want to give up the faith, let me know and I'll encourage you, don't give up the faith. If suffering gets so painful and deep and you want to cash it in, let me know and let brothers and sisters know and we will encourage you, don't give up the faith. You've heard me say this again, but let me remind you, don't let circumstances dictate how you worship. Instead, let worship dictate how you live in those circumstances. Don't give up the faith. Hold on. When suffering comes, guess what it can do? It can make us waver. Don't give up. And I wrote this down, and this might be hard for some of you to hear. One of the most foolish things that can happen in the midst of pain and temptation, listen to this, one of the most foolish things that can happen in the midst of pain and temptation is for you to abandon your understanding and confession of God. Don't give in. Don't give in. Be honest with where you're at, but don't give in. When we look at church history, we have this book that was on the table in the back, and some of you have got some of these, and I think we have a few more. Many of these people in this suffered and were in the brink of giving up their hope and faith, but they didn't. For instance, one man, Martin Luther. One of our Bible studies, we're looking at him right now. He was pressed by the church, and he was called in front of, it's called the Diet of Worms. Sounds kind of weird, Diet of Worms. What does that mean? It's a gathering of the, the princes and the rulers of that community in the town of Worms, and they just had kind of this council, and they said, Luther, here's all the writings you have. Are these true or not? Do you give these up? Because he was going against the church at the time, what they were standing for, and he was tempted. He was, do you give up your faith? And he says, he said, give me a day to think about this. He went to sleep and, and prayed about it. He said, I'll meet you in the morning. And he said, in there is truth. In there is the true faith of Jesus Christ. And this is what he said. He stood in front of me and says, he said, um, I can do no other. Here I stand. I firmly believe this that we approach God by faith, not by works. And he said, here I stand, I can do no other. Martin Luther did not give up his confession of faith. What is our confession? What is something that we profess? As one writer said, it's both inwardly entertained by the heart and outwardly professed by men. What does it mean? Don't, don't give in to the temptation and don't give up your profession. What does this mean? What does this mean? I found this interesting about this word. In Mark chapter 7, 
the Pharisees, same word here, the Pharisees were the ones who observed, they held on to the traditions of the fathers. We as Christians are challenged to hold on to the teachings given by the apostles. We are to hold on to 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Hebrews chapter 3, 6, verse 14, Hebrews chapter 10, 23, 35, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, verse 12. Hold on, don't give up. So as your pastor, one of the main things I encourage you, don't give up. You may scratch your head and wonder, why am I going through this? I'll pray for you and sit with you, but don't give up. You may, as we talked about doctrine last week, your brain probably went, I don't understand all that stuff. Wow, help me out. Don't give up. You don't have to comprehend all. Doctrine doesn't save you. He does. Don't give up. Here it is. Remain committed to Jesus. Remain committed to Jesus. Don't give up. Churches may have burned you. I won't have you raise your hand because most of you probably would raise your hand. Churches burn people all the time. Don't give up. Remain committed to Jesus. Remain committed to Jesus. And the last one is this. The encouragement number two. Verse 16. Take a look. Let us then approach God's throne with, of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The second one, the first one was hold firmly to the faith, remain committed to Jesus. The second one on the next slide here says this, draw near to God with confidence. Draw near to God with confidence. Do this. Under the old covenant, very simple. The high priest, one time a year, only him. You have unlimited access to God. I have my phone here. I tried finding this week the phone number to the president. I did. Already I'm on a list as a pastor. Okay, I'm already on the government list for a couple reasons. I'm a conservative pastor. I'm probably on a couple list, right? Now I'm on another list because I'm trying to find his phone number. Great. I thought it'd be cool if today we could just call the president and just say, hey, how you doing? Is there anything we could pray for you as a church or something? Or I might have other questions, but just to pray for him, that'd be great. I couldn't find his phone number. Does anybody have his phone number? Didn't think so. If so, you're on a list for sure, right? Okay. The highest ranking person in our government, I, I can't get access to. In fact, if I tried to today, I'd probably, if I tried to reach out and grab his hand and shake his hand, I'd probably be in prison the next day, right? I, just, I can't get access to him. You, through Christ, the foundation of this encouragement is, he's the great high priest. His people have access to God. Isn't that profound? In your suffering, in your weariness, in your joys, you have access to God. And because of that, we can draw near to Him with confidence, in faith, to the living God. In the Old Covenant, only the high priest. But now in the New Covenant, those who share in Christ are encouraged to approach Him. There is no barrier to Him. Only Christianity offers this. Only Christianity offers that sinful people who turn to Christ 
have unlimited access to the great and mighty God. And you have that. And it's interesting, it says, draw near with confidence. This verb used is continuing. The tense is present tense. It's just continually, you can go to him at any moment, 24-7. Always draw near to God. Why? Take a look at a few things I wrote down. He is timely help. You may have a problem. You may call me. Pastor Cody, I'm at the hospital. Please come and help me. In fact, someone did this week, Gordy, who's not with us, he had to go to the hospital this week. He wasn't feeling well. He called me, and I'm like, I can't come right now. I'm, I'm, I'm with some people. But God is timely. A nanosecond, in fact, it says in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, even before you pray, he knows your needs. Isn't that great? Even before you say, God, I need help, he already knows He already knows. He is timely. Look at this. He has the power to help. Can you imagine if we prayed to a God who is a wimp? They're crazy. We have a God who is all-powerful. He understands our weak points. He is sympathetic to our needs. We have open access to God. He provides the appropriate help to our particular needs. Very important line there. He doesn't provide what you want. God, I want healing right now. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes in his sovereign plan, it doesn't happen. He provides the appropriate help to your particular needs through his plan. And he has grace, unmerited favor. So here it is. Don't give up in your faith with God. And secondly, have confidence that you can approach him. Let's end by turning to one of the hardest passages in Psalms. Turn to Psalm 39, and we'll end with this. Psalm 39. Christ, when he was on the cross he had meditated on prior to and memorized Psalm 22. The first part of Psalm 22 was about suffering and pain, abandonment, rejection. He tasted those things for his children. But the last part of Psalm 22 is about hope and confidence in God. Psalm 39 is one of the hardest psalms there is to read. Because most psalms, when you read it, it's this. David or the writer says this. Woe is me. People are hunting me down to kill me. I'm suffering. But praise your name, O Lord. Your love and mercy endures forever. That's kind of the the typical pattern of most psalms. Or they're just all praise psalms. He says, suffering and pain. But then he ends with, But you, O sovereign God, I turn to. You are my hope, my light, my my shelter, under the wings. You know, all these phrases that we have memorized. Psalm 39 is not like that. And to the English reader, you read this and just go, Ooh, this is just, this guy doesn't know God. He's given up his faith. He's doing what Hebrews says not to do. But in the Hebrew language, 
It's a beautiful psalm. The first verse connects with the last verse. The next verse connects with the second last verse. It's called chiastic way. It kind of A and A prime, B and B prime. They all boil down to the center of the passage. It's written in a very poetic way. And the whole point of the passage is what it all points to. The first verse and last verse points to the second verse and second last verse, the third verse and third last verse. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It all boils down to this, and let me read this. And if you're weary right now, if you're suffering, if you need Jesus, if you're in a dark place, Pastor Cody says, and the scripture says, hold firm to your faith. Don't give up. Put your confidence in him. Take a look at this. I said, I will watch my ways. I'll keep my mouth, my tongue from sin. I'll put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. Because he just wants to blurt out a bunch of stuff. But when I was silent and stood and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. And as I meditated, the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the numbers of my day. How many of you had days where you say, please take me home tomorrow. I am done. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years are nothing before you. Psalm 39, verse 5 here we're in. Each man's life is but a breath. Selah. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about only in vain. He heaps up wealth not knowing who will get it. Verse 7 is the center of it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Always know that. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of my fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth. For you are the one who has done this. What? Even in the pain and suffering, God has done this? We'll deal with that when we deal with suffering and the sovereignty of God. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand, your rebuke and your discipline men from their sins. You consume their wealth like a moth. Each man is but a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping, for I dwell with you as an alien. A stranger, as all my fathers were. Look away from me, that I may rejoice again before I depart and am no more. Sounds like he ends with no hope, but he doesn't. In the midst of your suffering, may your hope be in Christ. May your confidence be that you can approach him at any time any hour. Why? Because he's the great high priest. He became man, took on flesh, dwelt among us. 
and he understands our pain. Let's pray.